Welcome to the Modern Intimacy Podcast, a show about mental health, sex, relationships, education and tips, and those private things we need to talk about more publicly without restrictions. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri, a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, packed couples therapist, and sex addiction therapist. I know that mental health is directly tied to the quality of our relationships and our sex lives. I'm passionate in my desire to smash stigmas and shine a light on societal issues that may be negatively affecting our lives, relationships, and sexuality. During this podcast, I will also give you practical answers and insights to questions you've been wondering about. We should all have fulfilled, happy lives, and we get there by erasing shame, consciously digging deeper, building healthy connections, and by getting curious together. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today on this episode of Modern Intimacy. I'm so, so, so excited to have with me Artemis Wolves, who wrote the famous TikTok song called Incompetence. Dance, dance, about to do my little incompetence. Dance, about to do my little incompetence. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with this song, please go check it out immediately on his TikTok or YouTube channels, and I'll put that information in the footnotes. But first, I want to talk a little bit about what weaponized incompetence is, because this is the crux of the song. And why I asked Artemis to come on and speak about this topic today is one, because the song is hilarious and amazing and hits the nail on the head. But B, so many people are resonating with this construct of weaponized incompetence. So without further ado, Artemis, welcome. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for being willing to come on and talk with me today about this. Can you tell um, my listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Artemis. I am a uh, filmmaker, musician, creator. I live in uh, New York City. I've been living here for about three years. And um, one of my specialties is in digital media and in specifically the way that internet content is formulated and uh, sort of general modern media theorist. Mm, that is such an interesting focus and it makes so much more sense now why you've created this song or maybe how you develop the skills to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically what I am is, uh, what is known as a polymath. Like I just do a bunch of different stuff and, um, I went to film school. I went to the university of North Carolina, Wilmington, okay. uh, and I graduated in 2013. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even while I was taking film classes, uh, I was always interested in the internet having, you know, use the internet since I was a kid. And, you know, I've got my first video camera in middle school was one of the first, uh, YouTube creators to jump on the website. Wow. And in, uh, 2011, they actually had a competition, uh, through YouTube. It was called the creators Institute. Mm -hmm. And what it was is everyone who wanted to receive like this specialized training, uh, would basically submit their YouTube channel for it and they would get selected. And out of all, you know, tens of thousands of submissions in the United States, uh, about 2000 were selected and I was one of them. And then it went to a voting period. Uh, and then it went to the judges at YouTube just decided to grab 20 creators to give like mm -hmm. this really strange specialized YouTube insider look. This is back when YouTube was hiding its playbook, so to speak. <laughs> um, and I was selected as one of those 20. Uh, and that was in 2011 while I was in film school. So from that, mm -hmm. that and studying film, I sort of developed this natural curiosity uh, about like the internet and just sort mm -hmm. of how it works and trying to constantly get to the bottom of what makes it unique. Hmm. And then for the next 10 years, uh, you know, for, or rather for the last 10 years, I've just been tinkering and working on various projects under different names and, you know, just doing a bunch of stuff in between like my normal day job. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, I, I work at Trader Joe's right now. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> you know, so it, it, during the day, I'm just kind of like Artemis, hey, how's it going? And then at uh -huh. nighttime, I'm kind of this like, you know, this dark magician of, oh, what happens if we do this? <laughs> and what happens if we do that? You know, <laughs> right, you're like a digital media sleuth on the down low. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, okay. So when did you start writing music? Oh, um, so in film school, there's this thing where, you know, you're always trying to just get a project made and trying mm -hmm. to get it done. And mm -hmm. every film major has this dream of directing movies at a million dollar budget and they can have entire teams. But mm -hmm. for the most part, you're making everything yourself during those times. So that is kind of the era where film students are learning how to buy 
royalty-free music and use it in their stuff. But I was fortunate enough to where I befriended uh, one of my best friends. His name is Chris Vickery. And he was someone who was a music person who just so happened to be taking a few film classes. And it turns out we grew up like 20 minutes from each other. And he was someone who would always come over to my apartment. So while I was dark magician making video stuff, he'd be on my couch, like making like music stuff. And sure enough, we ended up collaborating on a bunch of stuff. He would compose music for me. I would edit Mm -hmm. videos for him. And, uh, but it wouldn't be until I was about 26 or seven that I started exploring uh, electronic music like EDM. I went through okay. a huge phase of just like DJs like Dead Mouse and Armin Van Buren and uh, Paul Okafol, like all these creators that I really loved. Mm-hmm. And I think at about 26 or 27, I just called them and I just said, dude, I, I think I want to jump to the other side here. Like there's something about music that is. Mm-hmm it feels right. And I just kind of want to know. So I went over to his place and he started teaching me the basics of logic pro, which is the software I use and uh, just sharing ideas. And then I spent two or three years making electronic music, just remixes to stuff, experiments, all while also composing original sound scores for videos and films I was working on. Um, In fact, one of the bigger shows I did was right in the beginning of the pandemic. The reason I moved to New York city was because I wanted to, you know, I, I was living in North Carolina before, but I decided mm-hmm. it was time for a change. So like right in 2019, I moved to New York City, hoping to maybe do my first DJ show or mm-hmm. try to push my film career forward. And when I'm when the pandemic hit, you know, obviously it affected everybody differently. But one thing it affected me with was I was just like, wow, like I, I literally moved here to do one thing. <laughs> you know, I was doing stand up comedy. <laughs> I was doing I was about to do my first music show right. and it just went away. And so what I ended up doing was after a couple months of that, I decided to just do what I've always done, which is look at what I can do with what I have. And mm-hmm. so what I did was I made a like a DJ set and using my animation skills I learned over here and my vi- visual effects skills I had learned at another time, I made a virtual DJ show called Welcome to Dream Space, uh, which is on YouTube, by the way. Amazing. Um, so I, I got to fulfill that sort of prophecy of, okay, I still got to do a live DJ show. It was a live event with like 300 people that were there. It was a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the pandemic kept going. And so while I was working on what my next album project was going to be, I kind of hit a lull where, you know, I was working as an essential worker, you know, hours mm-hmm. were being cut, the pandemic mm-hmm. was getting worse. And I just, I didn't know what to do. I, I was kind of at a loss for you know, and then I just stumbled on TikTok <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> this reminds me of Vine. This gives me all, you know, YouTube and it's early chaotic days yeah. where like things were just kind of underproduced, but like it was wholesome and real. And so I played around with there for a while. But um, the first major video I did on TikTok was this, <laughs> there was a, there was a challenge going around called the bus it challenge, mm-hmm. which was this great, I, I loved it. It was basically, um, it was uh, for the most part, women who were, they were like dressing up you know, as if they were getting ready to go out, they'd had like the bath towel and the robe on. And then when the song would sort of drop and they'd hit to the, the drop down to the floor, they would just be in there like going out outfits. And it was right. like a very like beautiful, empowering trend that was going on. Right. And so I got off work from a particularly, uh, the Trader Joe's I worked at is the number one Trader Joe's in the country. And it's been okay. just, it's been crazy the last couple of years. So imagine. it was a particularly bad day. So I came home and as I was on the train, I was just like, what if you took that challenge and flipped it where instead of, you know, what if you were just taught, what if I transformed into like my Trader Joe self? (laughs) And so I did that. And that took me from like 10 followers to like 10,000. Amazing. Yeah. But I, you know, it sort of hovered there from from like January to July and July is where basically what we're talking about got started. Um, So how did you get inspired to write in competence? Oh, this is, this is my favorite story because it seems like so fast, but it's also like, you know, it was all the way back in, I would say it started in about July. Um, so in July, I remember I was coming home and I was talking to some friends and family about it. And I was just, I was just kind of at a lull. I was like, I don't know what I want to work on next. Like everything I'm making music wise feels empty. Like I'm, the pandemic has sort of stripped away a lot of what I enjoy. I, I don't want to make another upbeat, let's party like we're, you know, 20 again song. But I also don't want to make one that's just empty. Like I was working on this album that was supposed to be really dark and really, you know, it was, it was supposed to really tackle some real stuff, but it just, it felt wrong. And I remember saying to my best friend, Leah, who uh, works with me, we were walking home and looking up the Empire State Building. And I was just like, I can't write, I can't write lyrics anymore. Like everything I'm writing feels like I'm faking it. I just want to, I don't know what to write. I want to write about something that's like real, that actually like, I want to throw a giant rock into a lake and just to watch the waves 
you know, rip across the surface. You know what I mean? Mission accomplished with this song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then it goes to, um, yeah, I think it's, it's the end of, so yeah, it's the end of September and I'm, I, I call out of work cause I'm not feeling great. Okay. Uh, just, I was in a mental health situation where I just was like, I can't go to work today. Like they're not wearing masks anymore. They're cutting our hours. I can't do it anymore. So I go get a bagel and as I'm getting a bagel, I'm just looking at my TikTok analytics and I'm just like, you know what, let's, let's go the other way. I don't like the videos I'm making. They feel fake. Let me just look at my analytics and I look and I'm like, Oh, I never really realized this, but like 92% of my followers are women. Okay. And so my, my grandfather was a bonsai tree maker. He would take trees and like wrap them with wire to like make them very tiny. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of a controlling nature to that creativity. So mm-hmm. this was a situation where I wanted to go the other direction in sort of a metaphorical way. I wanted to make something, drop a seed in the ground and just see what happens. So I turned my camera on TikTok and the video is still up there. And I just said, hey, so I just found out 93% of you are women. Uh, ask me anything you want to know about men. And I will defect to the other side. I will literally tell you exactly what's going on. Like it was just sort of like a quick little video and that thing blew up. (laughs) They They were asking me everything from, you know, why are we obsessed with sundresses to, uh, you know, why is it that we we can't close cabinet doors? Like when we just sort of open them, like they were asking me everything. And I remember having this feeling, this sort of like natural hunch that this seed I had planted had started to grow into like this forest. And now I was like going inside and just kind of looking at all the crazy stuff that was happening. And I noticed, I was like, okay, whatever's going on in these comments, I'm sensing like there's a deep, deep, like desire for like a cathartic explanation for how we are. Mm -hmm. And as I was reading every comment, I finally saw the comment. It was, what are your thoughts on weaponized incompetence? And I had never heard that phrase before. Okay. So what came to mind when you heard that, when you read that term, like, what did you even imagine it meant? Um, so I, well, I, the first thing I do is like, w- one thing that's very important I, I know is that like, I grew up in a household where like my father would never do the work to sort of research things. He would just mm-hmm. naturally ask other people things or ask us to explain things. And even if he knew the answer, right. So I, I always, ha- I always default to just opening up a Google tab and Googling something. Mm, but okay. when I'm thinking about like the first reaction I had to that, I was just like weaponized, weaponized, <laughs> what that is a si- weaponized. That's an insanely, like, I love words and like the implications yeah. they have. And that was the first time that like, I sort of knew what the word meant without having ever known it. But the first thought I had was I have, whatever that is, I know I've done it because that <laughs> sounds familiar, but like distantly. So I Google it and I'm telling you, man, I took like maybe three extra minutes. And I, so I made a response video to that. And the response video was, I put the little comment above and I just said, Hey guys, I just like Googled what this is. And guys, guys, look at me right here, right here. I, we, we have got, we, you've got to be kidding me, right? Like we, we, we could do better forms of manipulation than that. Right. So I thought to me that was the end of this sort of forest journey that like, okay, I spotted this strange butterfly. I've commented on it. I've said it. That's whatever. But the comments below that weren't satisfied. You know, some of them were just like, okay, but what are your thoughts on it? And I was just like, oh my God, this is like, and it it wasn't like a situation of like, oh, I can get views out of this. It was more of a situation of like, I could just sense, because like I was saying, like, I'm I'm really obsessed with like internet culture and the way that things like morph and change. And the feeling you get as a creator when you have something take off like that is you know that it's a bunch of individual people, but when they start moving, I'm obsessed with like bird clouds and how even though they're separate birds, they kind of move together. I could sort of sense that this bird cloud was all of the same opinion that something needed to change about this. Right. Um, And so I just, you know, at that point I was like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. So then I, Actually, no, I didn't know what I do. I'm sorry. I, the next, I slept on it for like 24 hours. And right before I went to work the next day, I was in Logic Pro, which is my music software. Mm-hmm. And I was working on this album that I've been working on for like years. It's really experimental and it's very dark. And it's got this special vocal style that sounds very like angry, but also like omniscient. But it's, you know, it's basically what my voice sounds like to me in my head whenever I'm like very angry about something. Sure. And I, I've been stuck on it forever. And I said, while I was working on it, I had just seen Bo Burnham's Inside like a month and a half before. And I've done satire songs before. I've done them my whole life just as like an experiment, but I've never actually posted them. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of had this thought of like, okay, if I was to make a song about this, 
what would it sound like? And I had the files open. I had that vocal chain ready, that sort of omniscient, angry sounding God thing. So I just, I opened up a new synthesizer and I just started playing around on the keyboard. Um, and when you're making music like this, I knew what the feeling was. The feeling was, okay, what if I go the other way? What if this character knows he's doing it? Mm-hmm. And what if I could somehow use the magic of music, which is that if something is catchy and like makes you want to dance to it, what if you use that and flip it? Like they want to dance to it, but they they're angry by what's being said. (laughs) Because to me, that symbolized like a relationship that someone would have with this, which I witnessed a lot with my mother and my father, which is where we all knew what he was doing. We just Mm -hmm. couldn't do anything about it. And sometimes we even kind of tried to laugh at it, make it sort of fun. So, Which begs the question, you know, as you were hearing the response from so many women in your TikTok about weaponized incompetence, and you had that resonance with it, the the whatever it is, I know I've done this. Mm -hmm. For you, was it intentional? Um, Sometimes, absolutely. Like that's the thing about it is I don't, I don't think there's any um, reasonable defense for or a reasonable doubt that could be placed on this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was part of why I wanted to make this was that you know it's like okay let's let's pretend for a second that I am willing to defect to quote unquote defect. It's not mm-hmm. you know it's not a true divide. It's only a divide for some. But let's assume right. that I'm willing to defect to the other side, okay. and let's assume that you now have a you know white heterosexual male who's just like going to tell you the truth. Um, mm-hmm. In Yes, I've absolutely done it intentionally, but it wasn't having when I when I did it personally, it wasn't to do true harm, which is not an excuse, but it was it felt minor at the time. Um, And even though I knew that my father had done it, you know, in much worse ways and more meticulously in this moment of reading about it, I was reflecting on the times that like, okay, but I still do it like I have done it before. You know, you say something like. You know, it's like, I could do the dishes right now, but like, I also am really working on this like music right here. So let me make a passive joke about how, well, you know, I don't clean it the right way, you know, just stuff mm-hmm. like that, that you feel like is small. But this was a time when I was like, oh, wait a second, I'm doing exactly what my dad used to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not quite as bad and maybe in my mind, not as, you know, malicious, but it's still there. Well, maybe you just didn't have enough experience at it yet. You know, I think that that kind of, um, skill with weaponized incompetence comes with more time doing it, more practice doing it, and a lot of complicity, um, you know, with couples. And and I say that knowing that there will be backlash (laughs) Mm -hmm. because, you know, and this is not a gendered topic, but there are many more women who talk about it than men. uh, So I'm going to just use that language for simplicity. Um, But so many women will say things like, I don't, I'm not complicit in this. I'm not letting him get away with it. I don't want it. I nag him. I talk to him. I do all the things to try to make it stop and I get no return. And there is truth in that. And at the same time, collectively as a society, when we allow certain characteristics that are related to the construction of gender to go on, then we all are sort of complicit in saying like, men can get away with this, women can get away with that. These things happen, um, but it's infuriating. And, and I wonder, so what is your working definition of weaponized incompetence for people who have not heard that term and don't really know what we're even talking about yet? Right. So, I mean, but- that's a good one. Because to me, like, that's one thing that's beautiful about the phrase is it's almost like the, it's almost its own perfect definition. It's any <laughs> moment, it's any moment where you could do something, should do something, and you have the awareness that it is in this moment, your job or your duty to do it. But, you know, in the same way that we, we tell sort of white lies in society to mm-hmm. get something out of it. Like we've all, we've all like waited an extra three minutes at a time clock, you know, just to round the number up. You know what I mean? Like it's a willing, it's a willing thing you're doing that you know is wrong, but you're doing it to try to gain as much value out of a certain thing as possible. The problem is that you're now doing that with a spouse. You're doing that with someone who is it's you and them trying, trying to survive in whatever your situation is mm-hmm. and you have now turned them into just another resource and it's you know that that's kind of my understanding of it but you know and everyone's understanding is probably a little different believe me I, i've that's one mistake that i think a lot of people make especially quote unquote i'm going to use the phrase trolls because that's what we call them <laughs> on the internet uh, the trolls have made on the internet is that mm-hmm. um i I'm used to a higher class of criminal. Like I, I'm aware, I, I've seen the worst example and grew up in this household. Mm. So, you know, the defense of, 
you know, not all men do this, or you're kind of generalizing an entire, it doesn't work on me. Like my, my form of magic is too strong. So, um, you know, and, and that, that, that was the other problem during this is that, you know, I've been theorizing for a decade now, you know, I've been quote unquote viral before, but this was the first time that I had reached this level of viral, but I have 10 years of sort of staring out of a window and, thinking about like, what do you do if this happens? What are some of the ways that you can build whatever it is you're building? And not necessarily, I I didn't know what it was I'd be building, but I've thought about that kind of stuff. So whenever men were, it was very small. I want to, I want to really pinpoint on that, like of the, you know, million or so, whatever you want to call it, likes, comments or whatever that this whole series has gotten. Cause it wasn't really one video. I sort of built it into this kind of organic timeline of stuff that happened afterwards it was a very small percentage of men that didn't like what was happening, like truly didn't like it. And were trying to find ways to turn it in on itself and stop it. But, you know, I think they made two crucial mistakes. I think the first mistake they made is that they're just wrong. You know, if if anything that the comments had shown is that at the very least, it's something that has happened to a large amount of people, a large enough amount of people that it needs to be talked about. Absolutely. And the second, yeah. And then the second mistake they've made is they, uh, they picked the wrong one in me. (laughs) Um, Because that was something I brought up in a few of the comments and videos was that, you know, you know, Sure. I, I I was very when I when I wrote this song, I, I I'm kind of I wanted to be an architect growing up. And so that is something that I've always kind of sustained in everything that I do is that every word, every syllable, like every piece of that song is crafted in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Um and what that means is that while I was writing it, I laid a series of traps because I know how men think and I know what they react to things with, and I knew what would generate more viral views which would generate more awareness, thereby turning the trolls into sort of this water mill into this river of rage that would just kind of help me churn more energy out of this thing. What's an example of a lyric that you curated for exactly that effect? uh, Well, in the first two lines. Girlfriend gave me chores, but I don't want to do them. Gotta be a way I can get right through them. The first line, girlfriend gave me chores, but I don't want to do them. Um, First of all, that's one of my favorite lines I've ever written because it tells a joke before the start of the actual story. Like the Mm -hmm. fact that she had to give you chores was the first big mistake in this situation, right? (laughs) Right. Um, You know, it's, it's it's called duties. It's called a list of things to do. Chores is something you give a child. So like before I even say the first line, the first joke has been told, which is, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it immediately gives what these trolls want, which is a very quick, very easy argument they can make in the other direction. So what a lot of them fell for is the trap of typing something like, oh, so you said girlfriend. So clearly like, I know a girl that used to do this to me and I was cheated on and all these other things that have nothing to do with what you're talking about. Um, They would do that. And then I made a response video saying, I did not say the word woman one time in that video. Not, not once I said, I, and I said, my girlfriend, this is a story about me and my girlfriend. Now, if you have taken out of that, your experience, and you have decided that I'm speaking about all men, you have actually just outed yourself. You see what I'm saying? Like, you know, and also men aren't the only ones that can have girlfriends. You see what I'm saying? Like you've made a series of miscalculations in that comment. And rather than delete it and talk about how you guys, you know, doing this, I do this. I take his punch and I push it this way. And now he's helping me push and competence more. So I do a response video to that. And then I pin his comment to the top and I give him exactly what he wants, which is attention. And that's the one thing I've learned in the 10 years that I've studied the internet is that in the YouTube days, you, you would make a, a video and then people would leave comments. And then that was it. You'd be like, Oh, I hate that comment. That hurt my feelings. My head doesn't look that weird, you know, stop it off. But TikTok is a very beautiful monster. And when I was studying it, the first thing I noticed was just how crazy the reply to comment and the pinning comment feature is, because what you can do is make one central piece of content, use the responses to generate more content, and basically create this giant bubbling cauldron that other people that have no idea what anyone is talking about to fall into this swirling, weird elixir elixir of rage, 
watch all the other stuff get caught up. And now they're just building this giant web. So it became this kind of self-serving engine of yes, yes. Keep raging, keep raging. Cause every time you guys do this, the video view goes up about a hundred thousand and you guys are finding fewer and fewer women that are willing to tolerate this. Now it was a beautiful, like, I don't know, social canvas that we were painting together. Yeah. I don't know. There's been a whole movement on TikTok. I mean, so weaponized incompetence, um, if anybody listening really doesn't have a sense of what this means yet, it means when somebody plays dumb or feigns ignorance about something to get out of having to show up as a capable partner. Um, we do it for lots of different reasons, but it does tend to happen in cishet relationships where there is um, you know, a guy who's being asked to do something. And to your point, right? he shouldn't even have to be asked to show up and do the domestic labor around the house, just like his partner. Now, I get a lot of pushback when I talk about this subject because couples will say things like, well, that's our arrangement. That's our arrangement. Okay, great. An explicit agreement is very different than weaponized incompetence, right? If we agree that dishes are your your task and sweeping is my task, then that's what we are held accountable to. But what ends up happening is couples don't make these explicit agreements, and then it ends up falling on one partner. And because of the way our culture has socialized men and women, it typically falls on the shoulders of women to manage all of the emotional and domestic labor tasks, the care tasks that keep their relationship and their household afloat. So when men don't want to participate in that, it creates resentment, hostility. And I think unbeknown to a lot of these men, it creates a dynamic where their partner starts to look at them like a child. And I can't, I cannot express to you enough how quickly that zaps libido in a partner. <laughs> so, so many guys like get in their own way sexually when they, you know, they'll come in and they'll say things like my partner won't have sex with me anymore until I take the garbage out. It's not about that. It's about your partner wants to see that you're recognizing the importance of showing up as a partner partner and that you're sharing in the workload of the relationship in your home. That's sexy. It's not sexy to have to make a list for your kid to do their chores. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, I don't think there's any way to make that hot. <laughs> it's, no, no. I mean, unless that's your kink and in which case maybe that's, that's going to work for you, but if that's your kink and it's working for you, it's because you've made it explicit. Right. And right. it's not something that's happening unconsciously and chock-a-buck full of resentment. Um, so, so I wonder, you know, what are some of the best quips that you've received from men who are not happy with this, you know, showcasing or maybe pulling the curtain back on the wizard? Um, oh, so you mean like in, in terms of like against me or? Uh... Yeah, against you or against oh. the idea in general. Oh yeah. So we've had some good ones. And what's fortunate about my form of, you know, because the most important thing to know about me is that, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes that is, I think, I think it's falsely attributed to Mozart, but it's actually a composer that was lived several hundred years before him. But he basically said that music is not in the notes, but in the spaces in between. Um, and so the important thing to note is that like, when it comes to my artwork and my, you know, obviously I, I have ideas for like uh, films one day I'd love to do and like bigger projects that are more traditional story, but when it comes to the internet, um, my artwork is not in my videos. It's in mm -hmm. sort of the spaces in between. So mm -hmm. I keep all that stuff. So if you go to some of these videos, you'll actually see that I pinned a lot of these comments just to sort of like put them, you know, even if there's an a ounce of truth to them, I'll pin them right there because that's now part of what we're doing. So there's one that's really fascinating to me. Uh, he's pinned right now. And basically what he was arguing was that, you know, men built society. <laughs> In general, like they just, okay. they, they, they built it. I know I could, I can see the rage already in your eyes. So bear with me here. He's, he's basically says that like men built society, like without mm -hmm. us, there would be nothing. Like we're basically essentially what he's saying. And now I'm uh, paraphrasing okay. masters of the universe. We have created all this stuff, right? So mm -hmm. the second that you ladies learn how to grab, grab a power drill, like I'm more than happy to do some easy dishes, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Now, do you see, now do you see that tension that I can see in your face right now? That was exactly what I was like sensing in those mm -hmm. like early com like comments. So like mm -hmm. even just seeing like your reaction to that was enough for me to know that all of this was a good idea. So like, yeah. As he was leaving those comments below that were other women saying like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, they were just going off on him. Mm -hmm. So 
What's funny about this is I pinned his comment and it's still there. And in fact, I just checked five minutes before here and he's still getting comments of women saying like, this is ridiculous. Like Mm -hmm. men are not, and they're, and they're actually quipping back at him way funnier than he was. And he's in a situation now where either he's going to have to delete his comment, which is in my mind, a a W that's a big W for me, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or it's going to just stay there and he won't be able to hide what he's doing at all. Cause growing up the biggest, the biggest problem I had with the way that my father was, was that whenever we would have company over, he was like Leonardo DiCaprio. He could just Mm -hmm. act like everything was normal, that he was a decent human being. And we were told that we couldn't talk about like what he did to our friends. And like, we got to a point where he didn't want to have people over to the house anymore because the, how brand new he would start acting was Mm, infuriating. Um, And so part of my creative expression is no, you can say whatever you want in my comments. I I implore you to, but it's like Schrodinger's cat. You're not going to exist at home behind closed doors and think this, if you have the energy to type this thing, I'm going to help you put it out in front of the world, which is what you really want. Mm -hmm. Um, So comments like that, just like we created the universe and I'm just like, you know, okay, that's fair. Um, You know, and what was really interesting about this for me is that I, despite the fact I'm on the internet, I am a sensitive boy, um, Mm. but you know, I've learned that there's always something else going on with people's comments. Of course. Um, So some of the comments that are just like, oh, like he's basically doing this to like, you know, he's like doing this to win over women on TikTok. Or there was another one that basically Mm -hmm. said like, oh yeah, well, your followers are probably all women. And I just did a response to that where I'm like, oh no, our table, it's broken. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, I, they, but what I noticed during that whole time is like, you know, I'm sitting there as very like privileged, safe societal position as, you Mm. know, white heterosexual male. Mm -hmm. So sitting there, it's really fascinating. It's like being in an aquarium. Like I'm not going to get wet by any of this, but like just mm-hmm. watching these sharks swir- swirling around me, unable to affect me in any sort mm-hmm. of way. Mm-hmm. And just seeing that, okay, so you saw a video talking about something that, you know, look at me, you can lie to them. You can't <laughs> lie to me. You and I both know yeah. we've done this at least once. Right. And you see that I made it funny. You see that I made a non an almost I don't want to say it's non-confrontational because believe me, some of, some of my followers are, are are lovely human beings and they have used my song in some of the funniest ways you can imagine <laughs> to sort of start the conversation. One of them even said, yo, I am this close to just like air playing it on the TV, like as he's playing Xbox. Like, <laughs> um, So it, it's been fascinating, like as this whole thing was growing, just like watching them like this, like, okay, so mm-hmm. you're going to see all of these women in the comments say that this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And using words like cathartic and using words like, I feel relieved to know that I was right, that this is actually what's mm-hmm. happening. Right. And you think instead that it has, it has to be that I'm trying to just gain women's approval on TikTok right. <laughs> yeah. or that, you know, I just had this sick beat that I was trying to sell or that this is somehow a cash grab. You know, I have to remind them, like, I just yeah. work at Trader Joe's, dude. Like, I, I'm just like an agent of chaos, which became sort of part of my overall creative expression. The first time that one of these women said, oh, my God, I feel like you're some sort of weird chaos god sent here to destroy problematic men. And I was like, sure. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. so we just kept going with it. And then they just kept getting angrier that it wasn't affecting me. And then I just used their anger more. So I don't know. It's It's been like a beautiful little creative expression era. It, it really has been interesting to watch the unfolding of all of those comments. I mean, I've seen several um, female creators take your song uh, and specifically the comment that you mentioned about the drill. I remember seeing somebody like do a whole series on things that she's built and maybe even like some welding was involved in that. And, I think I saw that one too. Yeah. I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah. And I think, you know, what, what is so curious is like, one, how stupid men like that think women are that like, we don't actually see the very slow moving in reverse manipulation coming at us. And, and we're just going to be like, Oh, he must be right. Yeah. We, they yeah. everything we, we are useless. That's not happening. Um, but it, I think it speaks also to kind of a fragility that happens when people organize their, um, 
their relationship in this way and getting called out, even if they're the ones calling it, you know, calling themselves out with these kinds of comments can feel so scary to think about how quickly they can fall from a position of power that's built on such flimsy, flimsy wood. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. And as as a member of that sort of team on this side, I could tell you that some of our and I was raised. I, I grew up in the South, so you couldn't imagine that. That's probably one of the reasons that this was so effective. Is that I've grown up in some of the more problematic communities when it comes to this. Like one of the earliest conversations I remember having was, you know, we're all in middle school and all the guys who don't talk to the girls because they're afraid of them. Um, but you know, they're all having these conversations like, man, Bo, I can't wait to have like my house and like my tractor, my four wheeler and my wife. And like, even the way he says that is like, he's kind of this center planet and everything else is kind of a moon orbiting. And that a wife in that situation is kind of this like asset. It's not really a, it's us and our house and our tractor and our four wheel. It's, oh, I'm just another piece to his sort of puzzle. It's, I don't know. It, it's something that you're just like a way. And if you're, you know, like me and kind of a weird kid, you're just like, oh, that's weird how you said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say weird kid, but I hear somebody who maybe uh, implicitly understood the ways in which a lot of people are conditioned to objectify women mm-hmm. and how women have been, um, traded, their lives commodified in service of holding up men. I mean, this is the crux of the patriarchy, right? So Mm -hmm. I don't think that a lot of men woke up and maniacally are like, this is my plan. But Mm -hmm. unconsciously, you know, when we grow up in that flavor of water, that's the flavor of water that we perpetuate. And Mm -hmm. I think what's been really um, amazing with your content around this subject and a lot of other people's content is I'm starting to see a lot more men show up and be like, oh, I didn't even realize the depths to which I did that. It's been so ingrained in me. And wow, my relationship's getting so much better now that I'm actually taking accountability for things and taking action and being self-initiating around all things emotional and domestic. Um, Right. But so I'm really curious, uh, how does your dad feel about this song? Um, I wouldn't know. Um, My my father and I do not have uh, an active sort of relationship. Uh, I left home at like a 25 or 26. um, And we just sort of, you know, I made the decision that that was just a a form of negativity in my life that I did not need. Um, I don't imagine that he's either a not seen it, or it's just, you know, doesn't get like, that's the thing about satire. It's very tricky and something that was very confusing uh, growing up, but it's also one of the reasons that I'm maybe as good as at what I do as I am is that like growing up, we always had very silent car rides. It's something that my brothers and I joke about a lot because whenever he was in the car, it was like riding with this dense, dark star that like you could just feel sucking all of the joy. If you say anything that is not something he immediately gets, there's going to be this like tense rage you can feel that he feels left out. Um, and one of the early ways that we figured out that we could fix that or at least make it pleasurable is comedy stand-up comedy, specifically stand-up comedy that he liked that pertained to him. So uh, there was certain, there's certain, and I'm not going to say which comedians, because I, I, I'm worried that it'll be falsely attributed to me that these comedians like are in support of his behavior. And it's not, it's just that these comedians happen to speak about things that he in some regard could relate to either because of their age or whatever. But there were certain comedians that we could listen to their special every single time we took a one hour trip to Wilmington, which is where I went to school, which is how long it would take every single time. And he would laugh every single time. And sometimes after we listened to it enough times, There would be enough jokes about something that he did, would regularly do, that if we then made a reference to the joke, he would laugh about it in a way where he was actually acknowledging he would do it. And so it's something where comedy, to me, has never been like, oh, like, I'm kind of bored. Let's let's have a few laughs. It's it's been this like weird tool you can do to actually fix the darkest form of energy you can witness. Like it's a very strange form of magic that I've always wanted to like tap into. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. That's what they always say about like the Shakespearean tragedies and comedies, right? The comedy was always tragedy and the tragedy was always comedy mm-hmm. because we need that darkness to find the light. And um, what I hear is like, it's the only way that maybe you and your brothers were able to get some validation from your dad about the stuff that he did was through this like shared lightness and buffer of somebody yeah. else telling the joke. Yeah. Suddenly we're all, you know, we're all laughing about the yeah. fact that you flip out, you know, if the thermostat's two degrees off, like suddenly we're laughing about it, but at least 
we're all understanding what you're actually doing. You know what I mean? Um, What would be more interesting is I actually, so uh, real quick, I want to say I did a follow-up song. (laughs) Okay. Like to closer to closer to Christmas. Um, so after this success of the song, I started like my brain because this is something like I said that I, I planted a seed for it, and I, I I did not start this movement in any way, shape, or form. In fact, the fact that I got that original comment in the first place was because this was, as you were saying, already a thing that was happening on TikTok. Yeah. So I want to make sure that like everyone knows that I. I, I do not consider this movement to be like the movement. If anything, this is just kind of like a fun little playground in the middle of a much larger estate, basically, that is weaponized and competence. But uh, after the su- success of this song, like, I started feeling like I could write again. I was like, oh, I love this kind of chaos god arty. Like, the, I-, I love this. I love the idea of like just this burning uh, bonfire that's just like, actually just saying what we're all thinking. Um, so I started turning my, the gears in my head towards like a full album or like a full, a, another song. Um, it's stuff that I'm working on right now, but the the follow-up song to it was one called Eggshells. And it was even more, I, I was, I liked that I was sort of looking in the mirror, uh, maybe literally in most of my videos, I started doing mirror videos because I liked how that felt of just like, okay, I'm talking to me and here's what's actually going on in here. And what are we going to do about it? So eggshells was a song about going home for the holidays and how it's not fun and how no one seems to enjoy it, but we all just keep doing it. Um, but it was in the similar vein. It was sort of like, okay, in the song, we're talking about how we all know that dad is taking credit for things that he didn't actually do. We're all acknowledging the fact that we all know it's happening, but no one's going to say it. Well, guess what? I'm going to say it right now on a sick beat is what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of been like a whole, it's been a new form of art that I haven't mm-hmm. really done before, but I'm really enjoying tinkering with and seeing how deep it could go. So I wonder, you know, do you, because of the the success of these songs and your take on exactly what you said, right? Like you're saying the things that nobody really wants to say out loud and you're doing it with that Machiavellian glint in your eye. um, Do you feel like you are stepping into some kind of a space of like being somebody who challenges these constructs around gender? Um, Probably. Um, It's definitely... The, the constructs of gender is something where, you know, even in my mind has been something that's evolved over the you know past like mm-hmm. five or six years. Like uh, you'd be shocked to find out that like it wasn't until I moved to New York City that I actually first heard the concept of they them. And that was three mm-hmm. years ago mm-hmm. that that concept had not quite really made it to like. Right. Raleigh, North Carolina, or, (laughs) you know, when I was in school from like 2009 to 2013, it wasn't really, I'm not sure exactly when this movement truly started, but in terms of my exposure to it, had not been exposed to it until I first came to New York. And Mm -hmm. originally it was sort of one of those what? Like, what, what, what are we talking about? Is this a language thing? Is this a, you know, okay. but now that I understood it, but the, you know, one thing that made it click immediately for me is, um, you know, my birth name is actually Jeffrey. <laughs> oh, okay. And, uh, I hated that name my entire life. I mm. always despised it. Cause it always, to me, because of my understanding of sort of the origin, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the letter J, uh, I believe is the last letter added to the English alphabet. And that's what I always kind of felt like was sort of this after, oh postscript thing. Um, all my brothers are JMW, you know, it was like Jeffrey Maximilian Walls, Justin Mitchell, you know, and it's other, uh-huh, it was all JMW. Uh-huh. So it felt like a very boring pattern. And mm-hmm. I didn't, and I never felt like, a, I, I never felt like me when people use that word. Mm-hmm. So the first time I came to New York and I had a friend who uh, is non-binary and mm-hmm. I was telling him about this I say, well, what name do you want? I was like, well, whenever I travel, I go by the name of Artemis. And they, they were like, Oh, well, it's nice to meet you, Artemis. And then we just kept going. And then I just, I was like, oh, that's what this movement is. It's, I don't, I don't feel right in my skin. I don't like the way that I feel when this is called that. So yeah, it's definitely something I, I absolutely want to approach in terms of like, not just uh, gender in terms of identity and names, but also in like sort of the constructs that we have. Roles, yeah. Yeah. And I'm by no means an expert on any of this stuff. And one thing that I'm I'm working on right now, uh, my next, my, my full album, which is going to have incompetence and eggshells on this. And it's a project I'm gearing up for now. We have like a Kickstarter and all this other stuff going on. Um, I, the album is going to tackle a lot of stuff. It's going to tackle okay. that. It's not going to be a full relationship. I'm not a relationship expert. Uh, you know, they should definitely go to people like you. <laughs> 
Um, you know, but but it is it is something that I've been inspired by. And like, I uh-huh. love this idea of like, let's just say what's actually happening. And I'm going to find a way to make it either funny or entertaining. Or if anything, you're just going to like the way the song sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm sort of excited to just kind of explore different concepts. But yeah, for sure. There's, de- there's definitely other things similar to Incompetence I want to tackle. And there's some other things adjacent to it I'd like to tackle. Nice. Well, in that, in that breath, I wonder where can people reach you if they want to hear your music, if they want to follow you on social media, where can they connect? Oh, that's great. So uh, I am obviously on TikTok. I am on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I did while Incompetence was starting was I sort of like reacted to what was happening and moved with it. So one of the first things they said was, you know, we'd love, we like, we want this on Spotify and iTunes uh-huh. so we can blast it in our cars and our living rooms. <laughs> so all of my music is on uh, Spotify. Um, I sort of made a whole new account that's just called Artemis Walls. And it's specifically for this particular creative era I'm going mm-hmm. through. So you can find me on all streaming platforms right now. I have two singles, Eggshells and Competence, and you can find me on YouTube. So wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on this show to talk about it and for writing that song with a level of understanding and insight that was just chef's kiss. So, oh, thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you so much for having me. When I originally had this conversation with Artemis, it was over a year ago, so I wanted to follow up with him and find out what he's been up to and how the rest of his work has been coming along, as well as the impact of his work. So Artemis is so generous to give me a few more minutes of his time. Thank you so much for being here today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So I'd love to hear about what has been the overall reaction to your song, The Incompetence. Um, it really, I don't know. I would say really special. Um, you know, when the song first came out back in October, um, it, it sort of took me from a, a very small creator to one that was suddenly being talked about a lot. And the song was being pushed around and thrown in different areas. And, you know, even we, we had the one year anniversary, uh, earlier this month where I was reposting it. And I, I had thought that the song had been largely forgotten, that it was sort of like, oh, you know, this was cute. This was a thing I did last year. Um, and to still be receiving emails from women saying how they got out of a relationship because of it, or it's their household hasn't been the same since it came out and everything's been better since then. Uh, I don't know. It's been, it's been special just seeing how, you know, even though it's not something that did, you know, global top 10 numbers, just how many people it's still impacting. I still hear about it now when I'm on social media and I see clips of it running around on TikTok periodically. I'm curious, have your friends been having conversations, especially your male friends on the light that you were able to shine on weaponized incompetence? Yeah. So it, it it's a fascinating thing where you know, whenever I talk to people that know me, that have known me for a long time, they're sort of looking at everything through the scope of, you know, knowing me as a creator who has always been tr- trying to experiment and find new ways to go viral and find new ways to, to, to do something that actually matters and is special. So most of the conversations I've had about it have been like, oh, dude, that's crazy how you took it from like one video to the whole thing and then a full album. But, you know, there's been a few situations where they're standing there with their girlfriends. They're like, yeah. And also what also like, it's just sort of that look of like, yes, that's very cool. That he did that. But how do you feel about the song, though? So there's been a few situations like that um, that have been interesting. But no, overall, I, I would say that the people that are uh, closest to me really do appreciate what it did. And, you know, even though it wasn't my original intention for it to blow up this big or to even have this kind of an impact, I think they've definitely appreciated it. And it's even affected, I've actually seen it affect certain people because it's, it's one thing to be someone who does weaponize incompetence. It's another one. If like your best friends with the guy that wrote the song, <laughs> so there's like that added pressure. <laughs> Very true. Well, so, so how have your friends adapted? Have they stepped up their game at home or has there been a quiet resistance or maybe a not so quiet resistance? Um, you know, there's, there's only so much to that that I can speak to because, you know, you obviously don't know what's going on, but I can definitely tell that, you know, and even with me personally, that it, the, the concept behind incompetence um, really did kind of evolve. Like what started as it being a song about, oh, I don't really do my dishes and I'm expecting my girlfriend to do them for me um, has, has had an impact on me and people that I know where we're double checking, like, can I really not do this or do I just not want to do it? Um, 
uh, that's happened to me. Like, you know, even though weaponized incompetence wasn't necessarily um, an active sort of an active thing going on in my relationship at the time, having made the song and having gone through those motions and gone going from never hearing that phrase to ever, it did, it did affects me even still. Um, I have days where I wake up and there's things that I know I absolutely have to do. And I just sort of double check with myself, like, dude, am I actually too busy to do this task or can I, could I just get it over with like really quickly? Um, I have seen that level where, you know, even if they weren't necessarily guilty of weaponizing competence, they definitely were double checking with themselves um, for sure. Yeah. So how, I, I can't remember, are you in a relationship now? How has it affected your, your romantic life? Um, so the relationship I was in at the time, uh, you know, it definitely was, it was a process where as I was doing it, I was also learning a lot about myself and there were, there were definitely some small areas uh, that I corrected for sure. But um, it's actually like one of the more disappointing things. I've had a lot of people like when they write emails are like, Oh my God, like the idea I had was that you, you know, were, I think you were even saying something like that during our episode where you were, uh, you know, it's like, Oh, I just imagined that you were like doing this nonstop. And this was sort of like a public apology to your girlfriend, which is a much more interesting story. Um, but no, making the song did lead to some corrections in my personality, not just for my relationship at the time, but for just me personally, of just like, you know, double checking that, I'm making sure that I'm doing things that I know that I absolutely can do and that I'm not making some sort of facade. Um, uh, currently not in a relationship, but I, I would say that this process, not just that song too, the entire album definitely made me approach some of the issues that I had going on in my life a little bit differently for sure. Mm, yeah. I imagine, I imagine it was quite a growth spurt, you know, an emotional growth spurt, a relational growth spurt to look at the feedback that you were getting from all of these different songs and have that be an interesting mirror upon which to like mm -hmm. bounce your own stuff off of. Yeah. Uh, someone asked me, they were like, you know, that must've been, that's so cool how you like plan for that to come. I'm like, listen, I, I plan a lot of hijinks on the internet and TikTok. Like I've done a lot of, I mean, even since incompetence, we've done a number of viral experiments that have like just truly taken off beyond anything I could have imagined. Um, but with that one in particular, I really wasn't trying to go viral. Like I really was just trying to, there's a comedian I like who he always jokes how he tells a joke long enough and he keeps adding things until there's only like three people in the crowd that get what he's talking about. And that's what I was trying to do. So I, I use the analogy that it's kind of like playing Minesweeper on your computer, where I just kind of clicked a box that I suspected that there it wasn't a mine, and it ended up like opening up like the entire board. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, well, since we're here, let's, what, what else do we want to do? Yeah, I hear that. I've seen the ripple effect. I mean, I, I've seen so many more content creators talking about weaponized incompetence, and it's it's hard to know if it's because of your song or if there was sort of this, this culminating collective thought around this process. And certainly during the pandemic, we saw so many people have a second look at the domestic labor and the ways that it was being divided in their relationships at home. So you've had a few follow-up songs. One that I've heard is Eggshells. I'm curious, mm. how did that do? And what are some of the other ones? Uh, yeah, eggshells, uh, was a sort of holiday one that we did before I started the album, just wanted to get something out there. Um, that song was interesting, uh, because I, I was still experimenting with this idea of comedy songs that have utility that aren't just, oh, that's hilarious. Like, yes, but also let's talk about it. Like let's mm -hmm. now that there's a song about it. So when I came out with that, I got just multiple comments from people in my personal life that I knew from like work that said, oh my God, dude, that was hilarious. Like I'm literally about to go home to this situation where I feel like I'm walking on eggshells myself. Like that could have been my relative. Um, you know, meanwhile, there were people who haven't yeah. heard it. Can you give a little context? For oh, that? sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So eggshells was sort of a holiday song. Uh, that's, it's about going home for the holidays and about having, um, the, my, the character I'm playing in there has for, in his example, he has a father who he doesn't get along with and who, you know, he's, he, he can see everybody pretending like nothing's wrong. And, you know, he, the, the, the dad's taking credit for things that, you know, he didn't do. And so my character sort of just implies that in sort of a drunken fit decides, you know what, I'm not walking on eggshells anymore. I'm just going to say it. I feel like you're doing this and you're doing this. So it, it was definitely based on some things uh, in my real life that uh, resonated with a lot of people and mm -hmm. people very close to me 
didn't like it because it was hitting a little too close to home. So it was it was interesting on one hand having the internet telling me that, oh my God, thank you. Like I, I feel so alone going home for the holidays because everyone's like excited. And I literally have to figure out a way to drink myself to sleep for four days so that I don't have to deal with that one family member. But your song like made me feel like I get through the next four days. And then, you know, meanwhile, having people very close to me saying like, this is kind of, uh, you're kind of airing out our laundry here. I'm like, uh, well, now do you see that this is exactly this conversation we're having right now that you are frightened by this is exactly why going home is so tense. So that, that was, that was a difficult thing to navigate at the time, but I had decided after incompetence that whatever this saga was going to be, this chaotic era was going to be, the one thing I was not going to do was pull punches or lie because, you know, once we start just trying to make comedy music, that's just trying to get views and just trying to make people laugh, you have lost what drew people to this in the first place of, oh my God, he's actually, you're not supposed to say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is so true. I think you're the when I heard it, I thought this is so relatable for so many people. I mean, a big part of what we do at Modern Intimacy is help people navigate these events. And it takes a huge toll on folks to go home and to walk on eggshells. And a lot of people think that that kind of conflict avoidance is the easy way out. And sometimes it's the easiest way out. But yeah. I wouldn't say it's easy right? It's, it's huge. And, and the impact that it can take on a person's nervous system is exhausting. So I really appreciate you writing that and providing some comedy and catharsis <laughs> on the, on the, yeah. of the holidays coming up. Um, so in our last, in our last interview, you talked a little bit about a film career, have mm -hmm. you been able to galvanize some traction there? Um, no, it's difficult to say. So where we are now is the the album came out a couple of months ago, and so after I did that, I you know took some time off to um, basically figure out what my next moves are. Um, I had some personal issues that were going on, um, and just a lot of like just personal life stuff that's been really taking a lot of my time. And you know, I recently had something happen where I have decided that you know, despite. As, as great as the album was and as great as this whole thing has been that I have been seriously neglecting um, dealing with some deeper issues. And so I've started like going back to therapy and we've been doing a lot of exercises. I recently announced on TikTok that I was taking a little bit of a break just to sort of step away. And, um, you know, because we're, we're getting to a point now to where it, it's, it's very cool to me that I can take these things and turn them into something relatable and funny, but they're starting to affect my relationships and my life. And so we're taking time now to figure that out. Um, I do have some loose ideas for what the next year looks like for me. Um, I would like to move back to New York City. Now that we're done, uh, I ended up going back home to North Carolina where I'm broadcasting now in my father's old studio um, to finish the album. And I think I'm ready now to go back to New York uh, and sort of pick up where I left off, which was trying to get some of these uh, TV show ideas off the ground. Um, there's a couple of movies that I definitely want to figure out a way to get them done. Um, I've started writing a book about this whole chaos era just to sort of share some of the behind the scenes stuff. So I would say there's definitely some, some ideas floating around, but you know, not, nothing like concrete, no, no Netflix deal quite yet, but that's hopefully it's on the horizon. Okay. Well, if there are any agents listening, you know where to contact. Them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, last question for you. This topic really hit home, weaponized incompetence around a lot of gender, um, a lot of gender tension, right? And mm -hmm. I'm curious for you, as you've been doing all of this work and creating chaos in a way that's been meaningful for you with your music and with your art, are you planning to tackle any other um, social issues or are you sort of leaving it at gender? Um, well, that, so that was a challenge with chaos, right? Is that I knew that I had done this fundraiser and people were knew me as the incompetence guy. So they were expecting me and even pitching me ideas for more uh, gendered specific uh, societal roles. And so the challenge for me was to make an album that satisfied that but also expanded because I am in no way a specialist on relationships. Trust me. <laughs> I have plenty of uh, issues on with me, but there were other things. So the challenge was to figure out a way to 
transition the album in a way where it does do that, but it also transitions through other things. So there's a song on the album called Man Cold that deals with men who act like they're dying when they get a simple cold. <laughs> which we placed it right next to Incompetent so that it, it sort of generally flowed with it. The intro to the whole album, my favorite song is called Overture. And it sort of actually taunts the listener and talks about how, you know, the, the next song Incompetence, you better, if you have any dishes in your sink right now, you better do them because in about 30 seconds, I'm going to give your wife a song that is so catchy. You're going to hear it until the day you're dead. So it has fun with that, but we also transition. So there's a song called Meltdown, which is about, uh, ADHD meltdown, something that I've suffered from before. And there's a line in there that talks about, I can't find my keys. So this idea of not having your life together. Um, and so that's what I love about the album is it goes through all of that. It talks about uh, me going viral in Scandinavia, dealing with the fact that despite all this validation I'm getting in another country, I feel very alone. So I'm very proud of the album because it does tackle a lot of different mental health issues. Um, specifically ones that have either affected me or people that I know. So uh, despite how hard it was to put that thing together, I, I feel very confident that people that have experienced any form of mental health issue will find something in the album that they'll resonate with. That's really great. That's really great. So what's the title of the album? Where can people find it? Uh, the album is called Chaos. Uh, my name is Artemis Walls, and you can find it on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music. Uh, I even had people request it for MP3 downloads. So if you go to my website, you can download those. Apparently, people still have MP3 players. So, And I got a YouTube channel. So I promise you, anywhere you listen to music, you will be able to find the album. Amazing. And what's your website and your socials? Uh, that would be ArtemisWalls.com. And my social handles for everything is just Artemis Walls. I tried to keep it as simple as possible. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Modern Intimacy Podcast. On Instagram, follow me at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and at The Modern Intimacy. On TikTok, check me out at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and on Twitter at Kate Balistrieri. Everyone has questions about mental health, sex, and relationships. Send yours to me via DM on Instagram or email them to questions at modernintimacy.com and I'll answer some at the end of each episode. Visit the website modernintimacy.com to schedule a consultation with a member of our team or to sign up for our newsletter. Let's meet back here next week. New episodes air every Tuesday. Reminder, this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for mental health services. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.